0: I wanted to share something happened at the, the beginning of last service, which was really neat. Martha Abel last week uh, was towards the back, and I'm not even sure exactly what service, but she choked on a piece of candy, and uh, it was serious. And uh, there was a, a team that just immediately uh, got to her and uh, got everything taken care of. And so she came in front of the entire church to thank the entire church. For like she said, uh, in her mind, saving her life, like she said, that was that serious, I could not breathe. and so I just want you to know how grateful I am uh, that 's at least the second situation that we had, a medical situation where I 've seen just immediately people jump in, a, in a action and uh, to do whatever they can to help and, uh, and so that, that just means a lot that you guys and all that you 're doing. and I also am very grateful. Heather uh, is playing hurt this morning. Uh, she had surgery this week, and uh, uh, so she had every excuse not to be here. And the fact that she's here and worship is just uh, off the chart. So I just uh, want to lift up Heather and our praise team. If you could thank them. Um, I should never want to ever take that uh, for granted. Let's bow before we get in there. Heavenly Father, as we go into this new series, I just pray, Lord, that your word will be lifted up, that you'll be lifted up. Lord, we praise you for your presence. Praise you for the fact that you are truly a loving Father who will do whatever it takes. And uh, there's always room at the table. Lord, you're always calling us home. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So starting this series is called Bring Your Own God. And I know that that can sound a little confusing. That doesn't mean run home and grab a little, you know, idol and bring it back. That doesn't mean bring your own God. Uh, The thought behind Bring Your Own God is all about perception. It's every human being, everybody here, you have a perception of God, and there are a lot of misperceptions, and so we're going to just get into some of these misperceptions of what people think about God. Now, when you hear the word idol worship, for example, we should not be surprised because it's talked about all through the Bible. Matter of fact, if you've got your scriptures, you know this story very well. You go to Exodus 19 and 20, and Moses is Climbing Mount Sinai, remember that story? Moses gets up to, if you saw the movie, Charlton Heston. So anyway, Moses gets to the top of the mountain and he brings down the Ten Commandments. And now you have a moral compass. Uh, the Israelites have a guideline. I mean, you think they're going to finally get it together. And then we go 12 chapters later, Moses goes on the mountain again. Anybody remember what happened? You know, they, they could have played pin to tail on the donkey. They could have played Twister. They decided, let's build an altar while dad's not home. And then what happens? Total, once again, rebellion. Why? Because they took God out of his rightful place and they inserted an idol. Now, that doesn't happen today, does it? Seriously. Think of in our lives, all of us, when you take God out of his rightful place, anything else you put there at that moment, that becomes an idol. So we're going to get into this whole idea of uh, this perspective some people have, and we call this the Sunday-only God. That when people have this perception of God that he's a Sunday-only God, we want you to see that that perception is totally wrong. And that is a critical word, the word perception. So I want to show you a picture and see how you do. Uh, I want you to see the young cowboy. How many of you can see the angle of the young cowboy? Anybody see? Raise your hand if you see that guy. All right, good. How many of you see the guy with a really big nose and a big hat? Anybody see that guy? Good. All right. good. Now here's the next one. I got this one wrong, last service, let's see if we do it right. Uh, how many of you see the raven? Raise your hand. How many of you see the rabbit? Raise your hand. It all depends on perception. And it happens all the time. People look at the same thing and they see something totally different. I read this quote as a Christian blog, and I want you to listen. I love this. It says, "Your perception." is just that, your perception. People still don't understand that simple fact that perception is different from reality, that everyone has their own perception of the world. Everyone thinks their perception is reality. So there, because of that, there are millions of realities when, in fact, there really is only one, and that is truth. And that's true. We all have perceptions about countless things, But not all these perceptions are true. So the goal in life is to find out what is true. Now, think in your own life when you perceive something to be true and as you grew, you're like, oh, that's not true at all. I mean, I actually grew up thinking my church was the only church that was right. Anybody have that perception? And I started looking around, I'm like, nope, we've got issues. We're not perfect. All of us have interesting perceptions. I had uh, perceptions about... Poverty. What I thought poverty was. And that was changed in 1988 when Marie and I went on our first missions trip to the Dominican Republic. And I'm like, oh, so this is what poverty looks like. This is what starvation looks like. I mean, this is where children are dying. This is reality. So my perception totally changed. People have the same struggle with God. They have a perception of God, and then they realize that there's a reality and a truth about God. Uh, Alatus Huxley said this: there are things known and there are things unknown, and in between are the doors of perception. So let's look at this perception that some people have about a Sunday-only God. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. So if you got your Bibles, turn over there. You guys know these stories. Uh, Many of you have heard this many, many times. And uh, it's it's a valuable section of Scripture. And here's why. It shows us and demonstrates the very heart of God. And what Jesus does, which is brilliant, is the Pharisees and the religious leaders were really upset with Jesus because he was always hanging out with sinners. And they're like, why don't you spend time with us? Why do you want to spend time with the untouchables? Why do you hang out with folks that are so far from God? And they just never had the right perception of Jesus. So Jesus, which he does all the time, he says, I want to share some stories. Because that's how they learned. And these three beautiful stories that he weaves together shows us the heart of God. And the first story is, there's a hundred sheep and one of the sheep get away. And that shepherd leaves the other 99 in the open country to go find that one sheep. Now, what is he right out of the gate? What is he trying to teach them? The perception of God is this. You think life is all about you're trying to find your way to God. You don't get it. God is trying to find you. He loves you. He will do whatever it takes to find you. I think how different that perception is where the Pharisee says, oh, you want to find God? You earn, you earn respect from God by learning the laws and teaching. And then Jesus is like, no, no, no. God loves you. No matter who you are, he's going to try to find you. I love the, the whole idea. Uh, years ago, I remember this picture of Keith Green and he had this lamb around his neck. And I remember this whole idea that there's a, there's a shepherd that loves me that way. There's a shepherd that loves you that way. And really at the heart of this is something we can all relate to, and it's lost. I call it lostness. And there's two sides of lost. The first one is personal loss. And what I mean by that is when you personally get lost and the GPS didn't work, you ever had those moments? And I don't know if anybody else is directionally challenged, but if you are, you know that panic inside, like you instantly know we're lost. Uh, I can remember as a youth minister, uh, and I'd have a bus of junior high kids, and we'd go on a long trip, and it's like blood to a shark. They knew the minute I was, they were like, John, you are, you're lost right now. I'm like, I am not lost. And marie go, you're lost. I am totally lost. You know, we get the map out, and okay, some of you know that, that panic inside, like, oh my land, I'm, I'm lost again, okay? But we can actually laugh about that. But there's another kind of loss, and here it is. It's when somebody you love is lost. That's a whole nother level. So mom, it's when you're in the store and you turn around for 20 seconds and your kid's not there. What happens at that moment? Every second is like a minute and there is a panic. Uh, I actually heard this years ago about a little guy that wandered away from his mom and she just was losing it because now a minute turned to two minutes to 10 minutes. They shut the door. You know how they do that? They shut the doors and she is Almost at meltdown state. And the guy calls in and goes, what, what? Yeah, we found him. He's in the office. He's in the office. Go back. And you know how the mother has two raw emotions? One is, I love him. I can't wait to hold him. The other one is, I will beat that child. You know you know that? <laughs> so she's having both emotions. And she gets there. And the little guy's eating cookies with his feet up on the desk. <laughs> she looks at him. She goes, do we have a problem? He's like, no. And then he could see his mom lose it she started crying. You know what the problem was? He started crying because that's the first time he realized he was lost. Up until that point, he had no idea it was a big deal. You know that ache and that urgency in your heart. Jesus said, that's exactly how God feels about you. You wander away and you don't think he notices. He notices. He will do whatever it takes to find you. And he noticed what he uses? A sheep, an animal. Why? Because he knows there's something about animals and our hearts, doesn't he? Uh, when I was 15, best gift my mom ever got me it was my, my birthday. And I came home from school, totally self-centered, you know, talking about my birthday, you know, when's the party and all that. And uh, my mom is not giving in at all. And I'm like, uh, I'm not seeing any gifts wrapped up. I mean, what, what's going on? And she's like, hey, don't worry about it. You know, it's been a rough year, whatever. And she goes, but will you go get something in the bathroom for me? And I'm grumbling the whole way, like she forgot my birthday. I mean, seriously, I'm her favorite child. She forgot my birthday. You know, as I'm going through the whole thing, I open the door, and there's a little puppy and a little beagle, and I'm like, oh, Mom, you're the best. And, you know, and I pick him up, and she goes, now, his name's Randy. Now, so if we have any Randys here, just so you know, the dog was already named. So anyway, take Randy. And, I mean, he was like, he, he genuinely was my best friend. And I just remember running and racing him, and just, it was the best. And I know I'm old. But that was back before there was there was no such thing as leash laws. Your dog was the neighborhood dog. Everybody had dogs, and they'd run around. Um, And then I got home from school one day, and I'm like, uh, "Randy, you know," and he'd always come busting down this lane, and no Randy. And when he's like, "Hey, Mom, where's Randy?" and she's like, "Oh, no big deal. He uh, he hasn't come home yet. You know, he loves to run around." And nightfall came. I'm like, with flashlight, going through the neighborhood, and. uh, I remember it hit me like, he may not come home, and man, every day, and you know, I'd seen the movies, it always ends well, you know, except for old, old Yeller, that was a bummer, but anyway, <laughs> I, I'm just like, and he never came home, but it wasn't like a week or two, I mean, we're talking weeks and weeks, I kept looking out, you know, maybe somebody will drop him off, uh, we've all had that, that, that in our hearts, heavy, even if it's an animal, it's heavy, and that's what Jesus said, hey, listen. I know how attached you are. I know what they mean in your life. So what do you think about that? And you know they're starting to feel it. He goes, hey, here's another example. It's a lost coin. There's a, a woman, and, and in that tradition or custom, usually what that coin meant is in the, when the, a bride would approach the groom, there was this beautiful headdress, and there was coins, 10 coins. So that's probably the coin she was searching for. Priceless to her probably doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but it's sentimental. And you know, it's like when you lose something that's sentimental, man, everything stops and you got to find it. I heard a guy on the radio just this week and he said he had lost his wedding ring. He was working out. It's the only time he takes his ring off. And he said, I took off the ring, got home and I looked through my gym bag, nothing. And he thought, this is not good. You know, so it was back to where he worked out and uh, he said, anybody turn anything in, went through the locker, nothing. And goes out to the car, you know how that is, he's going through the entire car, opens up the trunk, and there in a little little niche there, there was the ring. And he's like, oh, my Land. he puts it on. And he said, then all, all the way home, I kept thinking, you know the odds of me finding that ring in that way are a million to one. But as he was describing that, I'm like, oh, I remember that. I remember times when there was something that was very significant or sentimental, and you'll do whatever it takes. That's the heart of Jesus. Luke 19.10 says, Jesus, here's his mission, came to seek and to save the lost. That's his mission. It's his mission for all of us that are here today. He'll do whatever it takes to find us. That's the heart of God. Now look at, starting in verse 11, is this remarkable story. And it's called the parable of the lost son, but it's known by everybody else as the prodigal son. So let me just walk through this story because it's such a beautiful story. You know that there are three main characters. Uh, There's the young son, the father, and the older son. First, the younger son. Uh, Some of us can relate to the young son. He's got an issue. You know what the issue is? Uh, It's the issue I call the grass is greener on the other side issue. You know what that is? Uh, Anybody here ever raise teenagers? You know what the grass is greener on the other side means, okay? Uh, there's something else out there better than this, because this house, this town, everything about my life is boring, and you're just like, oh, please don't go that route, and they're going to go that route, and they don't realize, and I heard this quote years ago, and it's so true, is be very careful in life that you don't pursue the grass that is greener, because the grass may be greener because it's growing over a cesspool, and that is true, if you pursue things in life that are outside of God's bounds and you think somehow you're going to find greener grass, be careful because it's probably growing over a cesspool. But how many times do our hearts break because the people that we love make really bad decisions? Our kids make really bad decisions. And you know why it really hurts us? Because deep inside, we made bad decisions. And yeah, when I, Marie and I worked at junior high and high school and I have parents, they'd say, I can't believe my kid do that. And I said, Were you in junior high and high school? Did you ever do something? They're like, we don't need to talk about that. I'm like, yeah, we probably do need to talk about that because that is the deal. And you can only just, you just can feel the pain of this younger kid who's doing everything he can to find a better life, knowing deep inside he's getting farther and farther away from his dad. Not because of his dad, but because of him. And then you have the older brother. Now, when you think about the older brother, uh, I want you to think about a kid wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm the older brother, deal with it. Because that is his attitude. Look, I follow the rules. I don't color outside the lines. I am the older brother. And he knew in Jewish tradition, what? If I'm the older brother, I get all the stuff. I have the birthright. I receive the blessings. There's a There's a way things are supposed to go. And this snotty kid who's always in trouble runs away with the money. Seriously, dad, get over him. And by the way, I'm the older brother. I mean, he just can't get over himself. And then I love as the plot unfolds because the third character is who? It's the father. And don't you love the father every day looking out that window? And he's looking for the son. and He's trying to find his way back home. Now, I don't know about you, but I think back of my mom, and the, I don't know that there was a greater attribute than this. I always knew I could go home. It's, it's honestly one of my best memories is no matter what age, I was still her little Johnny. And any time I walked, man, she'd beat me to the door every time. And every time, big hug. And, and oh, I listened to your sermon the other day. Oh, you're so good. You're one of the best preachers I've ever heard. And I'd be like, Billy Graham, well, you're still pretty good. Tom Ellsworth, Okay, you're still pretty good. You know, I don't no know comparing yourself, but my mom would just, oh, just, just lay it on. And I knew she was lying. She probably didn't listen to any to the sermons, you know, <laughs> but it didn't matter. She just wanted me home. That's all that mattered. And you know what? Uh, sometimes it would blow me away because I'm like, she knows me. I mean, she knows everything about me, and she still wants me to come home. She'll do anything. See, I think for parents... There's nothing greater than that attribute. There's always a place. You can always come home. And that younger son, how important was that for him? I mean, he had dug a hole so deep. He had reached the place, the proverbial rock bottom. And here's the thing about rock bottom. It's different for every human being. Everybody in this room has a different rock bottom. The problem is when you get to the rock bottom, I believe this with all my heart, I think God drops a ladder into the hole. He gives you the choice whether to climb out of the hole. Some people in our lives never climb out of the hole. And there's others, they do. And when they do, man, it is time to party. See, that's the God that we love. He gives the letter and he hands it down. And he said, man, I can't wait to see people come out of this because when they come to me, their whole lives will be different. Why? Because they knew what it was like to live without me. And now they can experience my love in the deepest way. And that scene is that kid is walking down that that lane and that father's looking out the window and he sees his son. And do you remember how that all unfolds in verse 20? He doesn't wait for the son to knock on the door. what do he do? He runs. He runs to his son. I think he held him so close. I think he's like, I'm so glad you're home. And then there's that stinking older brother. He is so mad. Oh, I can't believe he came home. What an idiot. And dad's throwing him a party? Are you kidding me? Okay, here's the issue. The, the older brother had put God in a box. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm talking about a father here, but in essence, I'm talking about my heavenly father. And here was the box. He was saying, I have this box, and dad, here's our relationship. I'm the older brother. I follow the rules. I do what's right. And that's our relationship. Your job is to, we would call it a Sunday morning God. In other words, I want to put you in a box, dad. I want our relationship to be built on conditions. And I'm fine with that. Just a few basic conditions. And at the end of it all, I get all the land. I get all, the, let's just stay in this box. He doesn't understand. That's not how the father lived at all. His father loved him, but he loved the younger brother. He was going to practice grace and mercy. Oh my land, so much bigger than this box. And what's sad is I see a lot of people that put God in this box. And that's religion, that's rules. It's like, you know, I just want God to fit in this little box where I show up on a Sunday morning and I check off the box that I went to church as if that's what God wants. God wants it all. He wants all of us. He wants our hearts. He wants our passion. He wants our soul. He doesn't want us to confine him to a box. You're probably going to be surprised, but I'm going to quote Jerry Seinfeld. And... uh, uh, it reminded me of, Marine. I went through this recently, and some of you know the, the agony of moving, you know what that's like, uh, and it's, uh, he makes a reference to boxes. I love this. He says, you know, uh, when you move, your whole world becomes boxes. Everywhere you go, boxes, boxes, boxes. You can smell boxes. You go, you go into a store in the morning, and it's like, oh, I just love the smell of boxes in the morning. <laughs> you think about your funeral. Just think about it. Death is the last big move. The hearse is like a moving van. And your friends, they're there to help you with the move. Your coffin is that perfect box with nice handles. The only problem is once you finally find the perfect box, you're in it. And I thought that is a great observation about boxes. So the question is, what box have you put God in? Because we all do it throughout our lives. We just want God to play by our rules. That's not how it works. We have a loving father that is beyond any box we could possibly put him in. So my real question for you this morning is when you hear this story of the prodigal son, where are you? See, Jesus was brilliant. And he knew there are three characters, but regardless of the three characters, somebody is in one of those three slots, whatever season of life they're in. For some of you right now, you feel like the younger son. You're running from God right now. You've made some really bad decisions. You're restless. Uh, You just want to go home. You just want to be right with God. And you're wondering, with your shame, could God love me? And you know what? There's always a place at the table. You have a... A heavenly father just saying, Hey, just come home. And for some of you, sadly, you're like the older brother. You don't want to admit it, but you love to live by the rules and do what's right. And deep down, you've got a brother or a sister or a cousin or someone in your family, and they drive you nuts because they make bad decisions. And you know you should love them, you know you should have grace but you are wrestling with that. You may be wrestling with the very same emotions of that older brother. And for some of you, you can relate to the father. You have a child or you have a grandchild and your heart aches for them because you just want them to be right with God. You may even remember a day when they had an amazing relationship with the Lord and they're just running from God right now. And I just want you to know that my prayers are with you. I know how hard that is. But aren't you glad that we don't serve a Sunday only God? Psalms 121 says, I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. When? Every moment of your life, 24-7, he's there. You cry out to God, and he's there.